You're listening to the Cultural Curriculum Chat, the podcast that specializes in multicultural education and classroom strategies. I'm your host, Jebe Edmonds. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Jebe Edmonds, and welcome to the Cultural Curriculum Chat. I am so excited to share with you in our guest chair today, Mrs. Heidi Shuckman. Heidi is a National Board Certified Teacher with over 20 years of experience in district, charter school, classroom, and administrative settings. She is specialist in elementary education and literacy. Heidi is highly collaborative with school staff and families to make database decisions for students. RYT 200 and Trailblazer in Prioritization of Social-Emotional Learning and Health of Students through Certification in Yoga Calm and Incorporation of Mindfulness in Classrooms. And I am so happy to have Heidi today. Friends, you are going to be listening for a treat. She's going to give us great strategies of what we can do in our classrooms as well as being a parent. And welcome, Heidi. I'm just so excited that you're here with us today. Thank you, Java. I'm super excited to be here to chat with you. Oh, thank you. Just to help with the audience too, can you just give us a little bit of a background of how you grew up and how did you come into this space of education equity? Both my parents were teachers and I grew up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And my parents to this day really exemplify service to others. As teachers and in their community, they continue now as retirees to give a lot of themselves to others. And really, when I think about like multicultural education and diversity, learn from an early age to embrace humans who look different and think differently and act differently from ourselves and know that everyone has something to teach us. My, as far as my family history, I have a brother who was adopted from Korea as a baby. And so really early on, my preschool teacher mom bought books with characters from different cultures and dolls with black and brown skin and worked really hard to teach us about lifestyles that were different from the one that we had. And overall, I was brought up to really just lead with love in everything that I do and knowing that every person has a story and all people deserve our respect and really was a foundation to myself as a human and now as a teacher too. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And especially as an educator, Heidi, what have you noticed as a seasoned educator? You've been in a lot of spaces. I love that about your background. You've been an educator, you've been an administrator, you've been an interventionist. Knowing multicultural education is, I always say, it's not a moment, it's a movement. And like you said, in your early childhood, being involved with your family and them having that will in the intention to immerse you with that in, in, in your family history too. As an educator, what have you noticed with colleagues in this push for more educational equity? I think one of the things that's really come to light, I would say in the last five or 10 years is almost a broadening, broadening of the term of, of cultural competency or diversity in our schools and in our classrooms. When I went to college, when I went to undergrad in the 1990s, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I got you. Yeah, yeah. it was mostly about 
it, it seemed at the time we thought about it as race and ethnicity. So the professor there was Gloria Ledson Billings, and she wrote this really famous book for educators about how to be a multicultural educator and how to teach yeah. African-American kids. And at the time, that was a real foundation of my education. But I think in the last five to 10 years now, we need to think about diversity in our schools and classrooms as much wider than that. It's more than race and ethnicity, it's gender and sexuality and socioeconomic status and all of these variations of culture that we may not be able to see from just looking at our students. And when I, and I think it's along with all the other things on teachers and educators plates, it's difficult to keep up with some of those things. Yeah, I like that. And I like how you said it's a lot more wider scope when it comes in terms of multicultural. You're right. Back in the 90s, that was the foundation just to get people to recognize the foundation because there was that movement in the African-American community to say, see us, we exist, Mm -hmm. we're here, Mm -hmm. we're your students, Mm -hmm. we're your colleagues. And also, I love how you bridge that with the last five to 10, there is a push of plus and all the other different cultural identities that are at the table that weren't even mentioned in the past that are now on the forefront, also saying, see us, we exist, we're here. And I also feel like too, educator to educator, there is some tentativeness of teachers who want to be on the forefront of giving as much access to their students in their classrooms, but they don't know where to start. And as an educator and being in the classrooms, what is your best advice for those educators that really want to do that? They're motivated, but they just don't know how to get started. It's from our our early first year teacher to our veteran teachers that are like, they've been in the game too, but they want to make sure all of their kids in their classroom feel seen and heard. What's your best advice for them? I really think you just keep seeing people deserve to be seen. I think it's so much simpler sometimes than people make it. Yes, agree. Like getting to know our kids, our students, and building the foundation of relationships, not only with students, but with families. I think that a lot of educators, myself included sometimes, it's not comfortable always to get to know families. We're not necessarily grown-up people. We relate better to the students and to the kids, Yes, yeah. but you cannot put a price tag on how valuable it is to develop a relationship with a family and get them to know you as a human mm-hmm. too. Yes. I think a lot of times we underestimate, we underestimate how in what high esteem families hold teachers. Two of the schools I worked at in Minneapolis were high-performing charter schools for mostly East African students. And in in those African cultures that I worked in, the parents would say to their children, they would say, your teacher is your parent when you Mm -hmm. are not with us. Your teacher is your parent at school. And just learning that much about their culture and in the power that they give us as teachers to take care of their kids. It was really foundational for those relationships. And from there, you can learn about a family's culture and you can, you can, and the more you learn, the more you get at some of your own biases that you may not even know that you had, Um, not assuming things about family situations. I just, I think is really an important place to start. Yes, that's Um, so important, Heidi. Yeah. And even growing up too, in a Liberian household, 
parents were also educators. My mom always used to tell me when I started this educational journey, setting up the classroom. And she also said, just to parallel with the East African culture, is our parents are giving you their best. This is their child. This is their best that they're entrusting in your care as the educator. And I, I think that is, it's very important as teachers need to sit back and go, we are highly regarded. Despite all the noise we hear in the news, we're still very highly regarded with our families. And also too, Heidi, I also agree with you of building that relationship I feel like as an educator, usually when we call a parent is when something happens. Oh, Johnny got hit in the playground and it's always something. And for us to be, like you said, proactive, getting to know the families. I always suggest with my colleagues, it's just saying their names. When you look at that roster, practice saying it, Google on Google Translate. So that child sits a little taller that you've got to say their name correctly. So you're right. It doesn't need, you don't need to be an expert but also be human and just understand that, yeah, it's just the little thing. So impactful. I'm glad you said that. And with family names too, if you have yes. a little kid who wants to tell you how to say their name, you can say to the, the parents or the caregivers, be like, will you just tell me, say your name super slowly. It's really important that I learn it and that yes. I can call your child by their correct first and last name when I need to. It's really important that their peers know how to say it correctly we want because that's that's how we feel seen, right? Even grownups, we love to be addressed by our names. I I teach yoga too. And one of my favorite yoga teachers always learns every person's name who's in every class. And at the end of class, she thanks each one of us individually. And we are grown ups, grown up men and women. And it just warms your heart so much. You can't imagine how it feels to little kids. Right. Yes, definitely. Super important. Oh, yeah. And also, too, how would you and I love that you mentioned with yoga and your certification in that. How has that helped you as an educator with your students that you're reading and intervening with and that calmness? Because a lot of our kids still aren't confident as readers. And when I taught fifth grade, they can play the game. You think they're reading to themselves, but they have no idea that it's the, the correct fit of a book for them. But they're afraid to read out loud because they don't want their peers to hear them and maybe out of fear of they're going to be made fun of. So a question for you is, yeah, what advice or as far as yoga, how do you instill that or incorporate it? Or is it even separate? (laughs) When I've been a classroom teacher and in in my small group in my intervention work, it has become really seamless for me, but there's kind of a story attached to that. And um, when I I would say it was uh, in Probably 2015, 2016, I was working in a school with, again, mostly East African students. And some of my students came from trauma. They were either firstborn of immigrant parents or they were immigrants themselves and either coming from some from refugee camps and English language learners, but some kids that just came from really traumatic places in their homes and just, and some kids just dealing with normal childhood kind of dysregulation. And I found myself preparing before I met with those students by doing belly breaths and really making sure I was calm so that I could almost co-regulate with those students. And then I thought, well, maybe I should start teaching these kids how to regulate themselves because they really weren't learning if their bodies were all over the place and their emotions were up and down. There was no, there was no point to me trying to teach a reading lesson 
when yes. their bodies yes. and brains were all over. And I started then just using some really simple kind of breath strategies and or almost self, some self-soothing strategies that kids could do as simple as just giving themselves a big squeeze. And it grew from there. And I did a lot of self-study and got certified in some youth kind of yoga, mindful movement programs. In the schools, we are we steer away from using the word yoga as much because in some there are in some places and spaces there's a religious connotation to that, which is not necessarily accurate, but we want to mm-hmm. kind of want to keep the focus on what kind of breath and movement can do for your body to help you get yes. ready to learn. I do a lot of some it depends on what kids need. Some kids I start every group I work with. And as a classroom teacher, I would do it with my whole class in morning meetings where we'd take big belly breaths together. Students would pick a couple different simple stretches or moves to get the oxygen flowing, to get our bodies ready to learn, perhaps to stand up a little bit taller to keep kit to teach kids how to sit and stand confidently in their power as learners. So those are just some examples of things that I do and I that I share with teachers and students. And now I've been doing it for such a long time that it just is like breathing to me yeah. to start off my groups with kids. And what I find is when you help them kind of to de-escalate their emotions, kids are much more with you. And again, yes. going back to they feel seen they yes. can be vulnerable to say, I don't know this. This is really hard. Yeah. And then we can use our relationship to move forward together and actually learn. Save time and effort with our weekly cross-cultural connections newsletter. Every week, you'll learn more timely strategies and resources to help you engage cross-culturally at work and at home. Go to jebaedmonds.com forward slash resources forward slash email sign up. That is J-E-B-E-H-E-D-M-U-N-D-S dot com forward slash resources forward slash email sign up. I love that, Heidi. And like you said, they're more present And yeah, I've been there in the the classroom. It's like getting ourselves in that space to learn. And, And even culturally, too, when it is that huge shift of coming in, I'm an immigrant child, too, myself, and there isn't much access to belly breath and even talk about the trauma that a child has faced. Usually these are just so ex- just relieved that they're here, they're in one piece, they're safe, and let's just go to school and focus. But like you said, to have them take that minute or so to take a breath, to be present, to know they are safe and they are calm, that just goes a long way to have a child to feel okay, to breathe and to read with somebody that they trust as well. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Oh, I wish we had more of that. But I'm so happy that you're doing this for our students because they do need that calm and that peace and that mindfulness. Yes, yoga or not, it's still belly breath and being present with themselves and others. I think we need a lot of that. So I know mother to mother as a parent as well. What have your children experienced in this space? They are lucky and unlucky enough yes. to have a teacher as a mom. Oh, as yes. As well. <laughs> Same as my children. Yes, right? I get you. Nice. Yes. So I, we 
we raised our kids in South Minneapolis until yes. just before the pandemic when we moved to Duluth, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And my husband grew up in an urban setting in a really diverse environment. And we were fairly adamant about raising our kids in that same setting. So that they would see and get to know kids from all backgrounds. And that started early when unintentionally, and perhaps you remember as a parent, how difficult it is to find preschools and daycare. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we, yeah. landed, we landed at this center in Minneapolis that provides many services for kids with special needs along with preschool and daycare. And it happened to be in our neighborhood. Our son and daughter from about age three were in classrooms for preschool and daycare where their classmates had were from all backgrounds, but in addition had a variety of different physical and mental and emotional disabilities. And what we noticed early, and again, this is not intentional, this just kind of happened, that Mm -hmm. from a really early age, they learned empathy from people other than us. And it was so great. And I see it in them still today, Mm -hmm. how in how they treat other human beings. And then from there, they attended our local public elementary school, which happened to be a Montessori magnet school that was in our neighborhood. And they they learned to work and learn independently and... um, had a really great experience there. And then when they were preteen age, we moved to Duluth when our daughter was in fourth grade and our son was in seventh grade. And they are cognizant of, very cognizant of the people around them, you know, how many people of color they see in any classroom or, and kind of the impact of that. And we, and I really think that Part of their experience is us just opening the door to conversations about things like that. Yes. Like, what are you hearing? What are you noticing? How does that make yes. you feel? How do you think the other kids feel? And almost, I heard on a pod, another a podcast recently, don't look, don't think about having to give your kids big lectures about some of these really big ideas, whether it's yes. sexuality or mm-hmm. diversity or politics mm-hmm. or whatever, just for, look for like a million little teachable moments. Where oh, you can that's open so powerful. Conversations, right? Yes. I feel like that applies to us as teachers too, but even more so as parents. Yes. To really stay in tune to where our kids are at. Yeah. And, and have them lead yeah. to where it's going versus you give them all this stuff and then it comes with yeah. more confusion. <laughs> and, oh, I never thought of that. You know, it is. Right. That's and so, also, yeah. We yeah. have so much to learn from that. Yes. We they, really do. They are I mean, so insightful then. Yeah. And oh. prompts don't always do an awesome job of leading this world right now. I think. You know it, my dear. Oh, um, yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, I hear you. And it was an honor because audience, I did. I taught her daughter in fifth grade and she was a, a delight. And when we would do our books online, because we were in COVID and distance learning, and she was one of those kids in my class that would ask these open-ended questions. And Mrs. Edmonds, did you, what about this character? Can we learn more about this person and how they felt? And it was really fun. And so you're doing the right thing, Heidi. You and your hubby are doing all right. Because she, especially when you're teaching online and when Google meets and you're trying to be engaging and she was right there. And so I, I applaud you both, especially to guide them in a way that you want them to think for themselves, but also feel safe enough to ask those questions. And I think that's awesome. That's just awesome. Super important. Thank oh. you for that compliment. And like, you really never know if you're doing the right thing as a parent until somebody else tells you you did the right thing, right? That like, is so true. I don't know. 
Oh, yeah. And my favorite part was when I taught like primary, they would give you all kinds of stuff. You're like, okay. (laughs) So I love teaching fifth grade because you could just get right to the source and have more deeper discussions than what they had for dinner or how the goldfish died. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So before we go, my dear, this has been really insightful. Thank you so much. And I know our audience is just picking up exactly what you're saying. But what are some tips and tricks? to help promote different cultures. And I know how you've talked about the wide, multifaceted versions and identities that we have when it comes Mm -hmm. to diversity. Is there any tips and tricks? I know you've talked about making relationships with families in your classroom, getting to know kids by name and how to pronounce and the, the mindfulness tools. Is there other things that parents and teachers can do to just keep this conversation going? I think it's easier than we give ourselves credit for sometimes. And like going back to our conversation about building relationships and asking questions and pretty simply kids, especially human, we all have to see people that look like us. So when I think about teachers that I know that do a powerful job of um, of what I see as being really culturally competent teachers, you walk into their classroom and the pictures on the walls and the books on the bookshelves reflect the kids in their classroom, in their instructional materials, using real photos whenever possible, like even of everyday objects like that kids have in their homes, I think helps them connect. It seems so simple and silly sometimes, but in addition to that, I think just teaching and planning with a critical eye, right? Thinking about your teaching, the words we choose are really powerful. Yes. Um, Kind of like an example is just using non-gendered language. This is something I'm always learning about. Instead of saying boys and girls or guys and gals, just saying friends or students or learners. There's so many words we can choose that don't label kids as one thing or another. Mm. I think it's important for us as teachers to just take a minute when we're going to teach a lesson and just look at any like misperceptions or misconceptions about any cultural bias we may have or things or kind of almost head off things that kids that our students may think beforehand and be ready to just have conversations about what do you notice about this picture? And if a student says, but girls wearing a dress, girls don't have to wear dresses, boys Mm -hmm. can wear dresses too. And just having a conversation about that, it doesn't mean taking out, taking things out of what we do necessarily, but, you know, creating kind of critical thinkers in our students, I think is an important part of this journey. And I do think it's sometimes easier than we think it is. Yes, Heidi. Um, you yes. know, I think being a lifelong learner and teaching our students to be lifelong learners as well. I, I quote, I use this quote a lot. So forgive me. Brene Brown is one of my favorite thinkers. Oh, I love Brene a, Brown. And, yeah. yeah. Who doesn't? She's amazing. Thank you. I'm yeah. sure there are people that don't love her, but not on this podcast. <laughs> not on this podcast, um, no. She says, I'm here to get it right, not to be right. And that I is my favorite quote and, ever, Heidi. Oh my goodness. Every teacher should have that on their door. Yes. I really think the minute we think we know it all, we should not be teaching other humans anymore. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Because we need to continue to learn and grow. And it's not necessarily about taking online trainings. It's for 
getting more CEUs. It's about yes. learning from other humans and learning from each yes. other and that includes our students, right? Yes. So oh, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it takes some hard work to be a culturally competent teacher and to embrace multicultural education. But I do think that it can be done and it needs to be done if we yes. want to continue to grow our kids and grow our profession. Oh, that is just amazing. Thank you so much, Heidi. And yeah, I love that quote. Even for me as a teacher in the classroom, when I was there, it was like, I don't even know about this text. And let's talk about this. Why does this make you crunch? Or or, is this picture? How come it's always a painting? And is there something that we can find that, you know, and they love to be problem solvers. I always said in my classroom, I said, you have the power to solve the problem. And if you don't know, I'm here to help guide and facilitate. And there's things where there's so many books out there that shows kids as humans doing human things. And it's not just, oh, why are they only the kids of color or the kids of different identities, only the sidekick? How come they're not the main characters? Things like that. How can we get more of those books of featuring them as the main character doing things like going to the library? Why does it have to be a lion that goes to the library? We know that's not real. Why can't it be a kid that goes to the library? So things like that we can do and find. But like you said, you don't need CEUs for that or those. And for my non-educator friends, it's certified educational units for our licensure. But those are the things that, yeah, simple things that we can do and have those discussions. And even in my classroom too, I would always try to do non-gendered greetings. It's hello, buttercup. They got, they would roll their eyes in fifth grade. Oh, here we go again. So those are the things that makes everybody feel seen and heard and valued. And as educators, we know we want to do that. Oh, thank you, Heidi, so much for oh, taking the time to chat total with me. Pleasure. Thank oh, you for and, having me, Donna. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And friends, yes, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe to the cultural curriculum chat. And I look forward to having you listen next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to Cultural Curriculum Chat with Jebba Edmonds. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We will be here same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye.